Our final case for today is 21-2359. I feel like it's Groundhog Day and I want to Bill Murray Loop, but it's Medtronic versus Teleflex. Miss, is it, how do I say your name? Graber. Miss Graber, please proceed. May it please the court, Jennifer Graber on behalf of Medtronic. The board's first legal error was constraining the prior art reference Resumon to its intended purpose instead of considering Resumon for everything it taught. Resumon's purpose of protecting against emboli just, just to back up for one moment, this, this uh, IPR uh, does not involve secondary considerations. There was no reliance by the board on the secondary considerations here, right? That's correct, Your Honor. There's no secondary considerations at issue in this appeal. Um, Resumon's purpose of protecting against emboli does not detract from a skilled artisan's motivation to use features from Resumon in a combination with fe- features from Takahashi to re- achieve a different benefit. This is a long-established principle of obviousness. As Judge Rich explained in EWP, a reference must be considered for everything it teaches by way of technology and is not limited to the particular invention that the prior art reference is describing and attempting to protect. The board misunderstood this court's decision in Polaris versus Arcticat as though it created a rigid legal rule that if a combination did not serve an intended purpose of a reference, that would, in and of itself, legally negate any motivation to combine. But Polaris did not create such a constraint on obviousness. Rather, the prior art reference in Polaris contained a statement criticizing the result of the combination. There, uh, that was involving an ATV, and if you had um, added a fuel tank under the seat, as proposed by the combination, that would raise the center of gravity, which the, the prior art reference there specifically criticized. But unlike in Polaris, Resmont does not teach away or criticize the result of the combination, a guide extension catheter with a one French size difference. This case is much more like In Urbanski, which was authored by Judge Laurie. There, the court explained that nothing in the prior art teaches that the proposed modification would have resulted in an inoperable process, regardless of whether the intended purpose of the primary reference would have been uh, served by the combination. That's exactly what we have here. Here, Teleflex does not dispute that the proposed modification to Resumon would be operable as combined. It would deliver therapeutic devices such as stents or balloons. And indeed, the board never found that Resumon taught away from achieving the proposed modification, the one French size, nor could it, as there's no such criticism in Resumon of the resulting modification. Teleflex's legal argument to the board and now to this court wrongly constrains obviousness to a primary reference's intended purpose, which is essentially an attempt to revive the teaching suggestion motivation test where a reason for a combination had to be found in the reference itself. But that rigid approach to obviousness is contrary to KSR, where the Supreme Court explained that the prior art... Why is Teleflex wrong when it argues that the board found that the entire premise of Ressman's emboli protection devices using ceiling balloons. So the bo- what the board found was that the um, primary re- purpose or the intended purpose of Resumon... No, not the primary. They actually said the entire premise. There are three opinions, and one of them says the entire premise. I do agree with you, Your Honor. But the entire premise would be to protect against uh, emboli, and uh, that could be achieved by using ceiling balloons on the Resumon device. 
But what Teleflex is essentially arguing is that that purpose has to be served. You cannot combine Resamon with any other device. The board said the entire premise is using ceiling balloons. Their expert came along and said ceiling balloons are critical to Resamon. And the board found you wouldn't be motivated to take the ceiling balloons out of Resamon and substitute something else. Why is that wrong? I mean, if a reference... If there's a conclusion that a reference has an absolutely critical component, and that seems to be the fact-finding that was reached here, and there seems to be evidence to support it, why 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 is the board erring? Because what you're really raising is a question of fact, not a legal question. So why is there no substantial evidence for the fact-finding that one wouldn't have been motivated to make this combination because it involves removing the critical element? Well, Your Honor, that's focusing on the intended purpose of Resamon itself. No, it's not focusing on the intended purpose. It's focusing on the notion that Resamon stands for the entire premise. It has a critical element. It's not an intended purpose. If a reference says, this element is critical, all of my embodies include it, the present invention includes the following. Why isn't that enough for the substantial evidence that's necessary? That's not enough, Your Honor, because even if it was critical for the Resamon device, the board was required to look at Resamon for everything that it taught. A person of ordinary skill is also a person of ordinary creativity. And so a person of ordinary skill would look at Resamon for everything it taught, including its purpose, and this is not disputed by Teleflex, its purpose to deliver therapeutic devices like stensored balloons to a target treatment site that's in column six of Resamon, and would, as a person of ordinary creativity, would take that aspect of Resamon, regardless of the purpose of Resamon. So, for example, in KSR, the purpose there was... No, it's not purpose, right? Like, we're talking about a thing, a ceiling balloon. That's not a statement of purpose. Yeah, the purpose in Resamon is to occlude blood flow and prevent emboli from traveling. That's the purpose. But they have a particular way of doing it, and at least the board found, based on expert testimony, that the way of doing it using ceiling balloons was absolutely critical to that reference. So why would a skilled artisan be motivated to take the ceiling balloons out? So the ceiling balloons were critical to the purpose of protecting against emboli. It was not critical to other things that Resamon taught, such as delivering therapeutic devices. This is actually a legal issue, and there is some authority about it. Our Intel decision says the fact that you don't achieve the purpose of the prior art reference is not controlling. Arctic Cat seems to suggest that maybe it's not controlling, but it could be relevant under some circumstances. But as I read the Arctic Cat decision, that's a situation in which the purpose in the prior art was also a purpose of the invention, vehicle stability. So where are we on this legal issue, which seems to be relevant to what the board did? Well, that's exactly right, Your Honor. So in Intel versus Qualcomm... Well, it's good that you realized that was what we call a friendly question. Well, and Judge Dyke is completely correct. In Intel versus Qualcomm, the court reinstated KSR's holding that the intended purpose does not control just because the variable game mixer in that case could have been turned off. That does not, as Your Honor said, this is a legal question here. There's no substantial evidence for that. 
Now, I think to your honor's question is kind of where is the line drawn, and my answer is that the board should have considered everything that the references taught, and that includes teaching away, as there was in Polaris. So there, there was a criticizing statement of the result. So if you had added this fuel tank, it would raise the center of gravity, and that would render the vehicle less stable. Here, you can remove the ceiling balloons. That wouldn't affect the combination as proposed, which is Resamon and Takahashi, in order to deliver therapeutic devices such as sensor balloons, unrelated to the intended purpose. So because the board legally erred in focusing on the intended purpose of Resamon, rather than everything Resamon taught, reversal or at least a remand is necessary. There's a separate reason that a remand is needed for the one French claims. Just as in Apple versus Andrea, it was an abuse of discretion for the board to disregard Medtronic's reply arguments that directly responded to Teleflex's patent owner response. No one suggested that Teleflex was somehow prejudiced here. Teleflex doesn't claim it, and the board didn't find it, which is not surprising, given that Teleflex was allowed to and did file a surreply and address the issue at the oral hearing. Medtronic's petition proposed combining Resamon with Takahashi by removing the ceiling balloons. Hey, you're just reading, and you're reading at warp speed. You've got to slow down and make an argument, because you're reading so fast, I can't even follow what you're saying. Okay. So look at me, try to make an argument. That way, I'll be able to follow you. Or you don't have to look at me if you don't want to, but don't read so fast. How about that? Yeah, so the argument that I'm making, Judge Moore, is that it was an abuse of discretion for the board to not consider the reply arguments that Medtronic made. So in the patent owner response, Teleflex says, and this is at appendix page 21726, that removing the ceiling balloons would entirely eliminate Resamon's embolic protection function, what we were just discussing. In reply, Medtronic was entitled to respond to Teleflex's argument, in which Medtronic explained that filters could be used and preserve that embolic function. The board doesn't consider these arguments in reply, calling it a new theory, but Medtronic's theory never changed. Medtronic's theory was Resamon with Takahashi by removing the ceiling balloons. As it remained in reply, Resamon and Takahashi by removing the ceiling balloons. It was entitled to reply to its argument about this elimination argument. The ability to protect against emboli would not be eliminated by the proposed combination. In Apple versus Andrea, this court said that the board must consider the reply arguments that are responsive. Because it did not, that also requires a remand. I'll move now to the board's second set of error regarding the alternative design choice of the double incline. The first legal error was that the board rejected the motivation to use Kataishi's double incline opening to increase the area of entry for a stent or balloon, merely because an alternative design choice, a modified slope of a single incline instead of a double incline, could have been selected instead. The board agreed that the double incline shape was larger in area, so the evidence there is not disputed. It just found no motivation because another design choice existed, simply modifying the slope rather than a double incline. 
But the law is well established here, too. This predecessor court in NRA law back in 1962 said that a choice between design alternatives would have been obvious to a skilled artisan. I'll move quickly to the written description issue, which is the board's third error. The substitute claims, the plain language requires a side opening that is separate from the substantially rigid segment. The board failed to even consider whether the original disclosure would have conveyed to a skilled artisan that the applicant possessed the claim subject matter, a device with a side opening separate from a substantially rigid segment. This case is similar to Power Oasis, which Judge Moore authored, where the original application only disclosed a vending machine with a display or user interface as part of the vending machine. The court held that there was no written description support for a customer interface apart from the vending machine. As the Power Oasis court explained, that's because written description must actually or inherently disclose the claim element. Here it's not disputed that the original disclosure does not actually describe a side opening apart from the substantially rigid segment, just like in Power Oasis. I see that I'm into my rebuttal time, so if there's no further questions, I will reserve the rest of my time. Yeah, we'll reserve your time for rebuttal. I'm just going to make a sort of practice note sort of comment. You know, it never works when you call out which judge authored an opinion. It actually feels dirty and icky. It makes us feel like you're trying to convince us that you should win because you're citing one of our personal cases. You both did it at different times today, and so I just want to make that note. We write opinions on behalf of the court. It's not Judge Moore's opinion. It's not Judge Lurie's opinion. It's the court's opinion, and it just makes us feel a little uncomfortable when you call us out by name, so don't do that anymore. It's just a practice note. It's nothing to worry about. Thank you. It's a practice note. Is it Mr. Winkles? Yes, Winkles. Thank you, Your Honors, and may it please the court. This case presents, exemplifies why motivation to combine is an important consideration in the case law in an obviousness analysis. On the one fringe... It's important to get it right, too, and the question is, with respect to Ressaman and these one French claims, the board's reasoning, pretty much its entire reasoning, is this would not serve the purpose of Ressaman if you use the one French approach elsewhere, and I have difficulty in seeing why that's relevant to motivation to combine if that's not a purpose of the patented invention. How can it be that the failure to achieve some other purpose in the prior art defeats a motivation to combine to use this aspect of the invention for another purpose in another invention? It seems to be very odd. The important point is, when a proposed change is so different and going to alter the principal operation of that piece of prior art, what this court's case law says is that that proposed change tends to show non-obviousness. Why? Why? I mean, yes, if you take Arctic Cat, it's an issue of vehicle stability, which is relevant to the patented invention. Yes, it can be relevant, but if the purpose has nothing to do with the patented invention and the purpose here of the balloon, the ceiling balloons in Ressaman has nothing to do with the purpose of this invention, right? 
it's, it's a great point, and I, I disagree with that, and here's why. And I think this is an important point. When you look at the claim language, the limitation here is a one French limitation in the claim language. What that's saying is it's a one French difference between the inner diameter catheter and the guide catheter. It's essentially saying it's a close-fitting relationship. Resman, by design, is expressly not a close-fitting relationship. Resman, by design, is saying, I need to have these seals because I am concerned about embolic protection. I'm concerned about when I stick a stent up there that there's going to be a piece of emboli that goes up and migrates. Not, that has nothing to do with this invention, right? It absolutely has something to do with this well, what invention. What does it have to do with this invention? This invention in these claims we're talking about is the one French limitation. There's an express limitation in the claims that says the inner diameter of the guide extension catheter is one French difference than the inner diameter of the outer catheter. And the petitioner's position is if you dispense with the sealing balloons, you can achieve the one French limitation. And we don't use sealing balloons because we're not serving the same purpose as resume. We're not concerned with the emboli. This is where I think this course law comes in. I think your question was a good one about the the course holding in Intel versus Polaris, and I want to talk about the Plaspac case as well. You correctly note that in Intel, this court said that the purpose in that case was not controlling. One thing, and, and in Polaris, you or Articat, you correctly note that what that case stands for is that we need to look at the entire purpose. And that's exactly right. There is no bright line rule. This is a question of fact that the board analyzed, the board looked at expert testimony. And if you look at the PLASPAC case, which I think is important in this analysis, PLASPAC stands for the proposition that when there is a change that is going to alter the principal operation, that is absolutely relevant to the analysis. And that's exactly what the evidence says here. This is saying that it's relevant to the analysis if that purpose of the prior art has nothing to do with the workability of the patented invention. And, and that's why I go back to the claim language that's at issue here has the one French limitation. That's why they need to get rid of the ceiling balloons because they need to have the type of... I wouldn't refer to it as teaching away, but isn't this basically a teaching away argument? You wouldn't modify um, this reference for all the reasons the board articulated on page 118, 119, and 120. It summarized the patent owner arguments and then said, we adopt the patent owner's position summarized above. They go on and they explain that that the ceiling balloon is absolutely critical to Ressman. They cite the inventor test expert testimony and they say nobody of skill in the art would have looked at Ressman and been interested in taking ceiling balloons out and trading anything else. It is critical to the operability of that invention. And so it's kind of, although they didn't use the words teaching away, I don't see how this isn't a relevant characteristic in the motivation to combine concept. I, I completely agree, Your Honor. I think it's very akin to teaching away. Um, those words aren't used, but it's exactly right. And on this point, there is undisputed testimony from both it's experts. teaching away if you're trying to achieve Restman's purpose. But why is it teaching away if you don't care about Restman's purpose? But one of skill in the art would, of course, care about Restman's purpose. Why? For, if, they're, if they're doing something entirely different, why do they care about Restman's purpose? I, I go back to my point. This is the whole point of motivation to combine and why we look at teaching away evidence because it all relates to is one of skill in the art going to lean towards making this change or lean towards against making this change? And when you look at a, a reference like Ressman, the entire point is to seal. Ressman even ties, there's a, there's a portion of Ressman that even ties the insertion of the stent, the, the, the second purpose that Medtronic wants to use. The whole point of Ressman says, 
if I insert a stent, there may be emboli that may migrate, and that's why I need to have a seal. Restman actually ties these two together, ties these purposes together. That's another important distinction with the Intel case. In the Intel case, not only was there not this critical purpose, this court found that that reference expressly contemplated the change. That reference actually expressly contemplated this um, kind of shunting or nulling the circuit. The opposite is true here. Restman, not only does Restman say, I had these ceiling balloons, Restman double down, doubles down. It's in every embodiment. It is so fundamental to that invention. I have a completely irrelevant to this discussion question. I'm just curious, why no secondary consideration here? Does the claims that issue in this case not embody the, the commercial embodiments? Is that why? In, in, no. So in some of the, in some of the claims, secondary considerations was argued below. The board did not reach that in some of these claims. And I believe it relates you know, to. That's important for me to know. So if we were going to, if, if for some reason we found that the board decision wanting, the board would still have to go back and reach secondary considerations in addition to the prima facie case evidence. If, right. if this court reversed and remanded, is that the question? Vacated, but yes. They, sorry. Um, yes, absolutely. In, in the 760 patent, that, that is on the, the one French claims that we're dealing with here. Secondary considerations were argued below. Um, that was not reached because they found that the, the, they didn't need to reach those issues, but secondary considerations were argued below on, on that patent. The, okay. You know what? It would have been good, just as another practice point since I gave to the other folks one, I'll give you one. It would have been great if like you had mentioned that in the brief somewhere. So we knew that there were still these other issues that pertain to the obviousness outcome because obviousness is a question of law, right? Theoretically, we could decide that question here on appeal. So it would have been useful to know that, no, there are still other fact questions underlying that issue yet to be decided should you disagree with us. Yep. So just next time, tell us that. Because we're all wondering. We just assumed, or at least my chambers, we just assumed maybe it wasn't coextensive with the commercial embodiment or something. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. It's, it's a great point. And there's obviously a lot of patents and a lot of claims and a, a big record here. So it's, it's well taken. Um, if I could... Uh, make a couple comments on the uh, the double incline claims. Um, the important point here, and I go back to motivation to combine. The argument here was we need to have a proximal opening that has a double incline. Medtronic's argument starts from a false premise. That was not known in the art. There is not a single reference that teaches a proximal opening with a double incline. There is not one. What Medtronic does instead is they went and looked at a suction catheter, a device that is different than Restman, which is an embolic protection catheter. They looked at a different catheter in a different location at the distal end that performs a different function and said that provides an obvious, that provides motivation and therefore it's obvious. This argument reeks of hindsight, and the board saw it for exactly what it was. The board made specific factual findings here that the function of the distal end of the Katishi um, suction catheter has no bearing on what is going on in the proximal opening of a device that is meant to receive interventional cardiology devices. The other thing that's important here to note is the difference in direction. And the board's decision hints at this. It talks about a distal to proximal direction versus a proximal to distal direction. In Kataishi, the thrombus is coming from a distal to proximal direction. The whole purpose of that device is to 
cover, or as our experts said, envelop, kind of wrap itself around a, a, a thrombus, which is a clot, to suck that up. That's an entirely different purpose than the proximal opening of RESMA, which is to receive interventional cardiology devices. As the proximal opening, that opening needs to stay open. It needs to maintain its, its luminal patency so that a device can go into it. Also uh, in the briefing and before the board, Medtronic argued that, well, we need to consider that there's material coming, the opposite, flowing through Restman. That's correct, but it's going in the opposite direction. Again, Katiisi is teaching to cover and envelop that thrombus at the, at the distal end. At the proximal opening of Restman, when material, when emboli comes in, that opening needs to stay open. And there's testimony from the expert that says, these are two fundamentally different things, and that's exactly what the board held. The last issue I want to address is written description. It was talked about briefly in oral argument. This case presents the not uncommon situation where the claims are simply drafted broader than exactly all the detail that's shown in the embodiments. And there is nothing wrong with that. This court has repeatedly held that there can be written description support in that instance. And, and here's how we know that. And this is one of these interesting cases. We know that because the claims read exactly on one of the embodiments. If I take the claim language and I compare it to an embodiment, the claim reads right on the embodiment. That is the hallmark of written description support. The only instances this court has said that that's not allowed is I, the, the two main exceptions. In the unpredictable arts or when the, when the, when the art is immature. Or in the situation where there's some kind of criticality or um, I like the, in, in the in-ray global case, it refers to a, a, a necessary versus an unnecessary limitation. Whether there's a, a limitation that's critical. Can I, can I ask you, are, are you making, I, I get the sense that you're making the argument that there is in fact written description support. Do you alternatively make the argument that the limitation for which Medtronics alleges lacks written description support, namely that they have to be the same, um, Providing a rigid segment and defining a side opening have to be uh, the same, physically the same and can't be physically separate. Do you argue that that's not actually a claim limitation, and so it doesn't matter whether there's written description support for that? <clears throat> so yes, if you look at these specific claims, that is actually not a claim limitation. And one of the things we point out is their brief with this claim language starts from the false premise that says it's an express limitation. It's not, and that's the point that we we point that out because we're addressing their arguments and. Their argument starts from a false premise. The, the, the claims... So if we agree it's not a claim limitation, then we don't have to worry about the written description argument. I, th I think that in and of itself makes the written description argument even easier. But I would go even further and say, even accepting their premise that we, that we somehow need to have support for a side opening that is outside the claim rigid portion... There is absolutely written description support for that. Again, if I take the claim language and I put it against one of the embodiments of the patent, I can see that that claim, under that interpretation, requiring separate and apart, reads exactly on one of the embodiments. And one thing that's important here is this criticality, whether there's a necessary limitation. If you look at this patent and the embodiments in the patent, what the patent says is, I've got a guide extension catheter and I've got a proximal opening. And it says that proximal opening can be perpendicular or it can be angled. 
Preferably it's angled, but it can be perpendicular. We've got figure one shows a perpendicular opening. Figure four and figure, I believe it's figure 12 and 13 show an angled opening. So is figure four. The patent also shows that that opening can be cut into the reinforced portion, the flexible tubular portion, or the rigid portion. There is absolutely nowhere in the specification that says it has to be cut in the rigid portion. And it's, it's very important. It's special because it's cut in the rigid portion. In fact, there's an embodiment in figure 10 and 11 that shows taking that metal collar and putting slits in it to make it more flexible. That's the point. This case presents the, the not uncommon situation where there's absolutely no criticality. And let me close. There's a, there's a great line from this court that, that I think is very apt to this point here. And if the, if the court will bear with me, it's from the Rexnor case and it cites back to the SRI international case. It's an inbox decision from this court. And what it says is, if structural claims were to be limited to devices operated precisely as a specification described embodiment is operated, there would be no need for claims. Specifications teach, claims claim. That's exactly what we have here, Your Honor. I see I'm out of time. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Ms. Graber. Two points, Your Honors. Um, The first is with regard to the intended purpose. Teleflex states that uh, this was essentially a teaching away finding. That's not what the board said, um, and it's not what Teleflex argued um, to the board either. At appendix page 21727, it told the board this is a legal conclusion, a modification that would render the prior art reference inoperable for its intended purpose is not obvious as a rule. That's not true. Uh, And then cites Polaris for that legal proposition. Had the board wanted to make a teaching away finding, uh, it should have considered Resamon for all that it taught. If you look at appendix pages 42 through 43, for example, it doesn't cite column six of Resamon once or any of the other teachings that Medtronic pointed it to. Had it wanted to, um, had it wanted to make a teaching away finding based on this intended purpose being a core purpose, it, it could have, but it simply did not uh, based on this legal error that Teleflex presented to it. So at a minimum, a remand would at least be required for the board to consider everything that Resamon taught, including whether or whether it didn't, uh, there was teaching away. That's actually what happened in Polaris. This court remanded to the board to consider whether there was a teaching away. And the board actually found that the statement in Polaris was not a teaching away statement that would negate um, motivation to combine. Um, and then the second point on written description, um, Teleflex states that uh, the, that the, the, the um, that this is a claimed embodiment. That's just not true. Um, what Teleflex is, uh, I believe, arguing is that the claims as written could have the side opening in or out of the substantially rigid segment. That's not supported by the specific the original disclosure. There's no written description to support that broader reading of the claims either. I see my time is running out, so if there's no further questions. I thank both counsel. This case is taken under submission.